Last Sunday, we especially hated to be away on homecoming, uh, but Sarah was desperately ill, and uh, we are thankful that she is improving, and we do appreciate your prayers for her. Uh, now, today, we are studying about Jacob, and if God can use Jacob, there's hope for you. <laughs> so you listen. I will begin reading at verse 22 of the 32nd chapter of Genesis the New International Version. That night Jacob got up, and he took his two wives and his two maidservants and his eleven sons, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is now daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob. But Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men, he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed them there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near that tendon. Amen. May God bless through our understanding this reading from his word. Our Heavenly Father, our hearts are saddened when we think about Ruby McElwee. Many of us wish that we had the days to recall so that we could have shown more kindness to her. And we pray that thou wilt sanctify unto us the lessons that we need to learn from those who are shy and retiring, and from those who work to make other people feel more comfortable when they're in pain, such as she did. We thank you, Father, for the testimony which she gave uh, in the hospital and for those who did see her there and heard her speak. We praise thee also for your acts of mercy in working in answer to prayer in our own congregation. Help us to know your love by seeking your face more in prayer and by being more yielded to thee. Help our lives to be lives that are lived out in a spirit of prayer and obedience and of love. We thank you for the opportunity to bring gifts and to put them into the collection plate and to ask that the Holy Spirit will rule and overrule in their use and grant that they may bring good to many people, that they may bless them with the knowledge of the Savior and that they may heal and help. We pray now that you will take the forces of our minds and cause them to think about the revelation from your word of yourself 
to one man, an impatient patriarch, whom we often speak as the one who not only is the God of Jacob, but the God of our refuge. Your dealing with him can be a dealing with us today, so that when we go forth from the sanctuary, we'll go out different people, determined that we too will be changed by your amazing grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Growing up as a little boy out in Texas, I don't suppose that any other story quite fascinated me as much as the story of Jacob, largely because I lived in the country and because I liked to hunt, and usually because when I went hunting, I always came home hungry. And uh, uh, especially this time of the year in the fall when you get up early in the morning and you go and then it gets warm about 10 o'clock and you start shucking off your clothes and uh, it uh, warms up some. And then the day goes on and you hunt it all day. And back during the Depression, when we hunted for rabbits and squirrels, it was not for sport. It was though there would be something in the pot when we got back to the house. And sometimes we got back hungry. And I must confess that I have some sympathy with Esau. You all know the story about Jacob and Esau. Or if you do not, then let me refresh your memory. Because it's one of the greatest stories in the Bible, and it shows the sovereignty of God at work. For God causes a woman to conceive, and in her womb there are two nations. And today they will be talking about those two nations and whether or not AWAC airplanes are going to be sold. And the United States Senate will talk about these people, and the newspapers and the television, amazingly, will talk about that land which God had promised. But who are these two, two nations, and what happened? Well, the two nations that are conceived are nations inside the womb, the womb of Rebecca. And Rebecca has two nations there. One is named Esau, and one is named Jacob. And Esau, Esau is a skilling, skillful hunter. He goes out into the fields and hunts. I think he was the apple of his father's eye because Isaac seems to have been something of a mild-mannered sort of person who was a little, as the mountaineers say, meager, and uh, he didn't do a whole lot. And uh, his, ma his wife, Rebecca, had great plans for her son, uh, her son Jacob. When they had been born, you will remember that as they were coming out of the mother's womb and were born, that Jacob has hold of his brother's the firstborn is Esau. He is red and hairy. And that's where he gets his name, Esau. And Jacob gets his name because his little hand is clutching to the foot of his firstborn brother. And we sometimes speak of a person today as being a heel. And let me tell you, it has something to do with the kind of life that Jacob lived. Because Jacob was a supplanter. He was a heel catcher. 
He was a tripper-upper. He was a schemer. He was capable of lying. He was capable of duplicity. He was the kind artist par excellence in all of Scripture. And yet God is going to use him. And you're going to see his name, I actually believe, referred to more than any of the other patriarchs in the Bible. This is the amazing grace of God. Well, let me tell you how he got the blessing. Of course, there was always Jacob hanging around the tent and about his mother's skirt. And Esau was always out in the field with his bows and arrows and his snares and traps. And he was taking venison or game that his father liked to eat. And his father, not being the robust athlete and field hunter that Esau is, I think, sort of admired him uh, because of his great manliness. And, of course, he always liked the results that he brought in from the field, and he enjoyed the wild game. Well, when Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called Esau his older son, and he said unto him, My son. And he said, Here am I. And Isaac said, I am now an old man, and I don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your weapons and your quiver and your bow and go out into the open country and hunt some wild game for me and prepare for me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now, let me go back a little bit and say that one day when this man Esau had been out hunting, and gone for some long period of time, he came back to the tent, starved to death. And Jacob, hanging around the kitchen in his mother's skirt, had cooked up a big stew. And so when Esau came in, he said, give me some of that red stuff you're cooking. I've always thought it was chilly. Anyway, uh, uh, Jacob knew that this was an opportunity. And so Jacob said, okay, if you'll trade me your birthright, I'll give you all you want to eat. And so Esau, who is described in the New Testament as a profane man, by that he has no appreciation for the sacred. Esau says, what good is my birthright when I'm starving to death? You see, he exaggerates the situation. You can have my birthright. Give me the stew. And then, glutton that he is, he begins to eat away and satisfies himself and wipes his greasy lips and thinks he's made a good bargain. But then comes the day in which the old man is to confer the blessing. And the old man wants to bless his oldest son, Esau. But Esau is told to go out first and get him the game. And Rebecca. Rebecca, Rebecca is a tricky person. And Rebecca was listening, and Isaac spoke to his son. Tent walls are not very thick. Some apartment walls aren't either. Uh, when Esau left for the open country to hunt game and to bring it back, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out into the flock and bring me back two choice young goats so that I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. 
and then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. And then Rebecca, skillful cook that she is, cooks it all up so that the old man won't be able to taste the difference in the game. And she goes and finds some of Esau's clothes with the smell of the open air and the field about them and puts them on her baby Jacob, whom she favors. And uh, uh, remember that their baby is about 40 years old. though, And uh, uh, she is going to see that he gets the blessing. He is going to have some goat skins tied to his hands and the old man enfeebled in mind and blind in his eyesight and trusting to his sense of smell and what little hearing is left, has this man... Uh, has this man Jacob come in to him? He comes in to him. Uh, he went to his father and said, My father, yes, my son, now it's Jacob. Esau hasn't come back from the hunt. Who is it? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau. Boy, that's a cold turkey lump. I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that uh, you may give me your blessing. Well, old Isaac's feeble mind wanders a little bit. How did you find it so quickly, my son? You ever seen a Jewish family operate? <laughs> then the Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so that I can touch you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. And Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he blessed him. Are you really my son Esau, he said? I am, he replied. Lie number two. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. And Jacob brought it to him, and he ate, and he brought some wine, and he drank. And then his father waxed eloquent and poetic for the blessing. He was full of food and wine, and then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. And so he went and kissed him, and when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he's still testing him, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field, that the Lord is blessed. May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's riches and abundance of grain and new wine. Many nations serve you, and people bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed. Yasha Arafat, better listen. And those who bless you be blessed. And after Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too had prepared some tasty food, and he brought it in to his father, and then he said to him, My father, sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing." His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled violently. Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came in and I blessed him. 
and indeed he will be blessed. Once the blessing was conferred, it could not be recalled. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with loud and bitter cries and said to his father, Bless me, bless me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. And Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? He has deceived me these two times. He took my birthright, and now he takes my blessing. And then he asked, Haven't you reserved any blessing for me? And Isaac said, I have made him Lord over you, and made all his relatives and his servants, and I have made, I have sustained him with grain and wine, so what can I possibly do for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Now this to me is a tremendous story. I still remember this had nothing to do with the exposition, but once when I was in faculty criticism at seminary, I'm glad that guy in here today uh, who was criticizing, uh, some poor guy preached a sermon that they just couldn't say anything good about. The faculty always put you on the front row, and then they came forward and told you what you did wrong, that you brought too many books, you dropped your notes on the floor, you didn't have good eye contact, you were not organized. And this poor fellow who was preaching, when he got finished, he said, Don't you have one blessing left for me, Father? <laughs> And he didn't. Uh, anyway, this is what happens here. So Jacob, the tripper-upper, the supplanter, the stealer, the deceiver, the duplicitous man, takes away the blessing of his brother. And then, as we say in Texas, he got a two-day lead on a fast horse out of there because his mother said, it's time for you to take a vacation. You go see my brother Laban, who lives in Haran. Get gone now. Move rapidly be gone and he left because Esau was a crack shot with that bow and arrow and his mother knew it and it was well for his soul that Jacob fled when he did and so uh, he but you know how God worked Rebecca for all of her cunning will never see her son again never again God was going to bless her son he had said that but here you have someone trying to do God's work for him, to sneak around and do it in the flesh. God will work his purposes out, and he will rule and overrule to his own glory. But he does not need for us to do a deceitful thing in this way. So Isaac had been blessed by Jacob, but he had to run. And he went as far as he could get to the people that would know him. He went to uh, try to get away from his brother. He was not accustomed to being out in the open. And on his first night out was what our first lesson was that was read. It was Jacob's dream at Bethel. Remember, he had some sort of conscience. And Jacob left at Beersheba and set out for Haran, that is, to go where Laban was. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones there, that shows he wasn't an experienced camper, he lay down and put it under his head, and he had a dream. And he saw a stairway resting upon the earth with its top reaching up to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending upon it. 
And there above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. And God had made a promise to Abraham, and God had made a promise to Isaac. And now that promise is going to be to Jacob, and he is not going to be killed by Esau, but he is running. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. And that's the trouble in the Middle East now. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Never forget that our Lord Jesus was of this offspring. I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go. When you are afraid, do you take comfort from the fact that God is with you and watch over you? and will watch over you wherever you go. He promised, I will bring you back into this land again. And that's what he's done. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. And Jacob woke up from his sleep. And he said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid. And he said, how awesome is this place. Would that it were true that this place here were awesome with the presence of God and that people realized that their sins were catching up with them in their conscience and that God was dealing with them and that they needed to be humble and yielded unto God and that God speaks to them. And when God speaks, we are to listen. Jacob listened. And God spoke to him, and he said, This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And then the next morning, he took oil and poured it upon that rock, and he called, called the place Bethel. Beth means house, and El is for Elohim, for God, the house of God. Then Jacob made a vow. Now let me get very personal. Have you ever made a vow to God? Have you kept your vow to God? Do you remember when your husband or your wife was sick or you were sick or your baby was sick and you prayed like you never prayed before? The great prayers are not long prayers. The great prayers are not those with the big words. The great prayers may be yawn. The great prayers may be too big for words. The Holy Spirit himself may have to intercede for you and pray for you. And he, as he had to do, as Jacob here, pours out his soul to God and he anoints that place with oil. He makes a deal with God. He says, you will be my God and I will give you a tenth of all that I possess. And if he as a Jew makes a promise like this, then we as a Christian Certainly all that we have should be under the authority and the lordship of God. God spoke to him in that place. And then you know, of course, how Jacob went on to Laban's place and he saw there the shepherds trying to move away a big heavy stone from the well and he saw a beautiful, slender, attractive young woman by the name of Rachel. And he wanted to impress her and so he went up with all of his muscles and pushed away 
the stone from the covering of the well and uh, went to meet her father, who was his uncle, and introduced himself. And then God begins to allow him to be paid back for some of his duplicity. He wants to work there for seven years so that he may marry Rachel, this lovely person upon whom he had cast his eye, and he worked hard for seven years, hard in the heat of the day and the cold of the night, working, taking care of his flocks and herds. And at the end of the seven years, when they had the marriage ceremony, Laban pulled a scurvy trick on him. You remember what he did? He took Leah, who looked like the back of a bus, and uh, they wore veils, and the marriage ceremony was all carried out, and when Jacob woke up the next morning, he was not married to Rachel. He was married to Leah. And he knew that his sins were now beginning to find him out. There's a lovely line there about how love can be. That the seven years that he had worked for Rachel seemed only as a few days because he loved her so much. And sometimes when young people come to me wanting to get married right away, it may be well for you to put it off for a while. Your dream girl today may be your nightmare tomorrow. You, you better wait God's own time. And so uh, this is what uh, is going to happen here. He, he woke up and he was married to Leah. And then, of course, Laban the crook says to him, Well, in our country, I forgot to tell you, the custom is to marry the older girl first. But you can have Rachel after this week of the wedding ceremony, but you've got to work seven more years for her. So he worked a total of seven more years, and then he worked six more years after that. And then finally, he'd had about all of Uncle Laban he could take. And he was rich by this time because he was tricky too. And he had pulled many tricks on him, and it increased his flocks and herds, and it started back to go back to the land again. And on the way back to the land, to his home, 20 years or more have passed by. And he starts back home. And the account of Jacob and the angel are one of the most beautiful accounts in, accounts in all of the Bible. Because of what happened, Jacob goes back home. And as he goes back home, on the way he hears that his brother Esau... Esau hears that he's coming. And people can remember a whole lot longer what you do to them than what you do for them. You heard them and they'll remember. And you see a man walk out of the door, old Alexander White in Edinburgh used to say, and he has a lovely smile on his face. He's read the paper and had his porridge and his coffee and he's catching the bus to go down to his office and lawyer. He said, you don't know whether he's smiling because his little daughter just kissed him goodbye or because he just read in the newspaper that his old enemy had dropped dead. Human nature is tricky. And it's funny that when we speak of human nature, it's always in a downward trend. But here, here he goes, and quickly I can tell you what happened. That night, he was so terribly afraid of what would happen when he met those 400 men armed to the teeth that he broke up his company into two groups to send them. And it's called the place of two camps. And that night he prays again. 
And he prays like he had not prayed since 20 years before when he was running away. And that night, an angel of God comes in this mysterious story and wrestles with him. And they wrestle the whole night long. Have you ever wrestled with God in agony in prayer over something? You can't teach prayer. You learn prayer like you learn to swim when you're drowning. You can learn by seeking God when you hurt, when you are willing to yield, when you are willing to give yourself to him. It's far easier to read a book on prayer and to preach a sermon on prayer than it is to pray. That's why Jesus said they will not be heard for their much speaking. Because it's that inward part of our heart that has to come up and it has to speak. These people who have been praying for Sarah and Sam, the people who have been praying for little Benji, the people who agonize in prayer, there's where you sense it and you feel it. And those usually don't drag out all that long. And Jacob here makes a beautiful prayer, and he wrestles with the angel of God, and the angel says, let me go. And he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Are you willing to hold on to God until he blesses you? And by that, it means surrender to God, because God is going to cause him to be injured. The angel reaches and touches him, and he is crippled, and he lets go. And sometimes God will reach out and touch us, and he will touch us so that we have to let go. And then when we let go, the blessing will come. And that's when he said, so Jacob called this place Peniel, saying it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. And the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Always remember that it is better to limp toward heaven than leap toward hell. Remember that you may have to be crippled before God can crown you. Crown you. The object of the angel was not to kill him. The object of the angel was to conquer his will. Here is conversion that comes. That's why I had to sing the song, and now we'll be finished. I had to sing the song a while ago, Amazing Grace. It's because it's a brand new 1980 book of carefully researched letters and diaries of John Newton, the man who sold slaves at Charleston Harbor, the man who must be the, there must be thousands of black people in our South who have John Newton's blood in their veins because he had sex over and over and over and over and over again with the black slave girls which he brought to this country to sell into slavery. The libertine, the infidel, the leecher, the wretch that he was. Read his life. He tells it all himself. And in a storm, God scared the infidelity out of him. And then it took a period of time, another experience just like it does with Jacob, before he was really changed. He 
had to go through several years before he began to see the wretched evil of slavery and fight against it till the last breath that he had and become a preacher of the faith which he had once sought to destroy and had to shamefully admit the horrible things that he had done. The other day when I heard some black people singing his hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, I thought how much John Newton would be thankful to God that he had redeemed it. No one knows the exact circumstances under which that hymn was written, but they know that God brought a dramatic and powerful conversion that led to the change in a man. And that's what has to take place in our lives when we meet with God. The change has to take place, and it has to be a change that is kept and a change that will not go away. And may I say this just in closing. I want you to remember, and not ever forget it, that our sin always finds us out, and that old Jacob, when he was 130 years old in Egypt, and dying, and the Pharaoh and Joseph brought Joseph's children into him to bless, he blessed those two boys, and he said to them, May the angel who blessed me bless you. In other words, may you change in your heart. And do you remember when Jesus of Nazareth was introduced to Nathaniel? He said, There is an Israelite in whom there is no guile, no duplicity, no deceit. Why did Jesus say that? Jesus said that because Jacob's name was changed from Jacob to Israel, a prince with God. He said that because Jesus said to him, you will see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, upon he himself. And they would in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus in that awful night offered up himself and he who knew no sin became sin for us. They saw angels come and minister to him in the garden of Gethsemane when he said, Not my will, but thy will be done. And when he went to the cross and cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was forsaken so that we might be redeemed and live for him. So the lesson for us today is that human nature can be changed. It is, re it is changed by the grace of God which permits correction. No matter who has written you off, you can be changed. And you can renew your vows to him. And he will keep you. He has promised to do so. Let us stand in prayer. We will omit the closing hymn, O Jesus, I have promised to serve thee to the end. Be thou forever with me, my Savior and my friend. The world is ever near me, around me and within. But Jesus, be thou near me and keep me safe from sin. And Father, as these who have heard these words today merely scratch the surface, of a great and powerful life, 
and see the matchless sovereignty of God with his unusual grace and love at work, may each one of us renew the vows which we have made to thee and ask thee to take full control of us no matter what it takes to make us to be altogether yours. Please make our church a house of God. Please make it like Peniel, a place where we meet him face to face. Help us to pray in our prayers by yielding our lives to your lordship in all things. If there is one person here who has not surrendered his or her life to Christ, Make that person to know that I'm here for that purpose, to help them, and that others will help too, and that this day they can give as much of their life as they know how to give to as much of you as they understand, and that Jesus has said, Him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. And Jacob proves it to us all. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father, and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and guide, be and abide with us all, now and forevermore.